to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis is joined by Nick as our hosts speak with Bill Thurman, CEO and chairman of Red Bird Biosciences, a licensed Oklahoma medical marijuana operator with an emphasis on large-scale cultivation and processing. Oklahoma is the nation's fastest growing medical marijuana market and is a storyline that hasn't yet been explored by the Green Rush crew in depth. So Lewis and Nick chat with Bill about all things okay, including what the true potential of the state market is and the untapped cannabis market of the South. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Bill Thurman of Redbird. Welcome yeah. to the Green Rush. It's a, a real pleasure to have you on. Full disclosure, Redbird is a, a client um, and has quickly become one of KCSA's favorites. Um, you, Redbird is unique. In you know, when most people think about cannabis, you know their their mind goes to either California or Colorado or even now you know Michigan and Illinois. But but most people are not thinking about Oklahoma. Can you talk about the Oklahoma market? You know, what's going on there and why are you there? Sure, sure. So the Oklahoma market, uh, when we looked at it, uh, you know, we had experience uh, in the region in healthcare as a provider um, and uh, understood a little bit about the market and felt like that the, uh, the state had taken a unique position in the way they were rolling out the program. It was really an execution market. Uh, the, uh, the the dynamic of Oklahoma is it's a lot of small towns. Um, uh, you don't really have to drive a long distance to get from each town to the next. And we liked the fact that uh, we felt like that a, a, a robust program would grow very quickly there and that they'd have a, a an open distribution market that would allow for uh, basically every community uh, to have uh, uh, retail opportunities and be convenient to the uh, patients and and uh, uh, really cover the state in in a unique way. Well, and that's that that's exactly right in that it is a medical market when you talk about patients. Um, and the market is I wouldn't call it unique, but it is definitely different in that it has a form of reciprocity with other states. So I have a card in New Jersey, and if I was coming, or when I come to visit you guys, you know, I can reach out to the state and, and get a reciprocal card. How important do you think that reciprocity has been in the unbelievable growth that the state has seen in sales? I mean, according to um, the Oklahoma Tax Commission, you know, sales tax just in Oklahoma was $258 million through the first 10 months. And, you know, they're looking at your state to eclipse over $350 million in tax receipts for the calendar year 2019. Is that reciprocity a large part of that? Or would you say that the, the, the growth driver has come from the endemic patient pool in the state? I think that the reciprocity has a lot of uh, develop, you know, potential to develop out uh, here over the next uh, 12 months. I think that it plays a, a significant role, but I believe that the 
uh, the majority of the business uh, that's being conducted now is uh, generated from the population that uh, resides inside the state. I do uh, I personally uh, have uh, friends and family that uh, have uh, utilized the reciprocity uh, program in Oklahoma. So I do know that it's a significant component, uh, but I believe it will grow um, uh, continuously over the next several years. Hey, Bill, this is uh, Nick uh, filling in for Ann this week for, for the episode. Thanks for joining us. How big is that medical market, though? Like, what's, what's the patient population look like right now? And then what's the potential for how big you think it really could get to? You know, with Oklahoma, Oklahoma's patient population is, is over 220,000 already. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, Oklahoma, if you go back a uh, Back into when I was younger, uh, you know, it was a market that uh, uh, from a cannabis standpoint, Adair County, where our facility resides, was called uh, in a publication, the Humboldt of the South, uh, many, many years ago in the early 80s, I believe, maybe late 70s. Uh, so Oklahoma is a state that uh, um, has good, you know, solid familiarity with, with cannabis and, and uh, uh, the benefits of, of cannabis for, for a myriad of, of, of uh uses, including uh, personal enjoyment. And uh, so we feel like we have a very robust uh, market there uh, in the state uh, that, that, that's really been in place for, for some time waiting for this uh, opportunity uh, to, to be served. Yeah, it sounds like it. 222,000, I think you said. That's a huge patient population. To like, It's like 5% of the state. Yeah, that's huge. And then I think one of the things following the Oklahoma growth of the medical market is how many licenses have been given out. You guys had, I think it's uh, over 7,300 in the first year, including 4,300 grower permits. Like, right. th- like how, how is that just not going to just lead to saturation within that market? Like wh- what's going to take it for somebody to actually win in the Oklahoma market? You know, uh, it, it, I look at things a little differently. Uh, Oklahoma is a, uh, a state that is unique individuals, very independent um, and um, individuals. And I mean, we believe that the small business operator uh, has a, a, a unique opportunity here. Uh, it's not tremendously expensive uh, to get into business. Uh, we're advocates. Um, I'm, I grew up here in, in this area and was in agriculture. And, uh, and so we feel like there's uh, plenty of room for everybody and, and unique, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, everybody who has something unique uh, can find a market for it. We are not targeting uh, by any means a, a, an extremely dominating uh, disposition in the state. I think most of our targets are uh, for the next year or so or under 10% of the market, maybe around 8%. And then as the market grows, we've modeled our scale uh, out over the next 24 months to really maintain and maybe grow to a 12 or 14 percent disposition in the market. And so I think there's tremendous opportunity for people with uh, talent and passion uh, to come and uh, operate a small business that can make a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, living. You guys are physically just north of Texas. How much of a stalking horse is Oklahoma to get into the Texas market. You know, I mean to your to your east is Arkansas, which is a really small market, but you know, south is is Texas, which is the, probably the biggest untapped cannabis market in the country. Um, what do you see happening, you know, as you yeah, as you guys build out in Oklahoma, where does Texas fit into your calculus? Well, 
Texas is always, obviously, since uh, my most of my career uh, in healthcare uh, was in in Texas or emanated from Texas operations headquartered in Texas. Um, uh, my partners uh, are physicians and and uh, uh, primarily uh, out of Texas. Uh, we <clears throat> feel like uh, with our healthcare background that uh, uh, that would be a market that uh, uh, we would be moving towards. I'm not sure what the uh, trajectory for the Texas market to open up uh, fully is. I think that'll be maturing over several years, but uh, basically uh, related to our experience in chronic care and uh, in end of life, palliative care, pain and symptom management, we feel like there's a tremendous opportunity for us uh, to pursue um, at first a relatively small footprint providing uh, 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 biocidical, pharmaceutical grade mm -hmm. Uh, uh, medicine via uh, uh, doctor uh, of neurology that's a partner uh, of ours that's already uh, one of the seven licensed physicians in the state uh, acknowledged as an expert in the field of the use of these compounds for neuro, uh, neurological purposes so uh, it's on our radar and uh, we're working hard uh, today to prepare for that but uh, uh, this is a uh, uh, People, I don't know that, I think once they get into it, they realize what a extremely uh, difficult and challenging uh, uh, process it is to actually uh, develop a business uh, in this uh, rapidly evolving space and to do it at scale. So Oklahoma is our focus today, but we do look forward uh, in 2020 uh, to following uh, our plans uh, uh, to do some uh, work in Texas. So I got one more question about Oklahoma and then we'll get into Redbird. Um, you know, Nick, had mentioned how many licenses have been awarded in the state. Some of the biggest MSOs are sitting right alongside of you. None of them are nearly built out as Redbird, but, you know, Curalief has a license, Acreage has a license. How do you look at these guys as they eye up this market? You know, it's it, Oklahoma is the fastest growing medical market. Um, the average ticket price per, per patient is among the highest in the country. So even though, you know, the, the overall potential market may not be as big as Illinois, it is a much more robust market. And for MSOs that are needing to generate revenue now, Oklahoma is as good, if not better, a place to be focusing. So when you look at the acreages and the cure reliefs, the GTIs, the Crescos, are they significant concerns concerns or not concerns well again um you know we we we've reviewed the addresses associated with those licenses and uh, really don't see any <clears throat> current development going on we've been to the address associated with acreage and uh, there's just really nothing there but an empty field uh, the process that at least from my experience to to um, uh, ramp up to 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 you know, scale that should exceed 30 tons um, in a relative, in, 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 you know, within uh, just a few months um, is, 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 is a no small feat. Uh, so we feel like we have a significant uh, head start. Uh, we were very blessed when we were able to acquire the Tyson complex. Uh, it was uh, really as many as our consultants came and said it was almost like it was built for it. Uh, we've used major contractors associated with uh, uh, the food uh, industry and the pharmaceutical industry to drive forward our 
um, uh, our retool at really, I guess, uh, almost a, you know, a, a record pace. Uh, we started uh, actual work on the facility in uh, December of last year, and we'll be uh, launching uh, the complex-wide operation in about uh, 45 days. Yeah, so can you expand on that uh, Stillwell Tyson uh, facility? That, that's a really interesting story. I know it's something that we know on the back end, but can you walk us through that a little bit deeper? Uh, sure, sure. So way back in my career, I was involved in USDA, FDA uh, production of CN labeled, that's child nutrition labeled products for the public schools and had uh, familiarity. Uh, I come from a, a large scale commercial agriculture, uh, uh, working with Tyson under contracts as a, as a teenager and <clears throat> college student and little boy. And so I was uh, aware of this facility. It was originally built by Hudson Foods. Uh, Tyson purchased Hudson Foods in the facility in the uh, late 90s. And uh, so we have, uh, upon completion, um, uh, we'll have 100,000 square feet of production, uh, about an acre of indoor uh, grow and um, phenol lab, uh, outdoor grow. Uh, the, the property was designated first as an enterprise zone uh, under Clinton, then as we trail through uh, Trump, it's an opportunity zone. Uh, we have uh, really limitless uh, power. Uh, power is very uh, different here. And so uh, while we're looking at uh, rates uh, in California, 14 cents a kilowatt hour, we're in the four cent a kilowatt hour range in our opportunity zone. Uh, we have um, unlimited water resources. And so we looked at it and felt like that uh, it was it was really perfect for this. It's tremendously scalable. Uh, it sits on 38 acres, uh, all designated as a, a enterprise and opportunity zone. And um, we feel like that uh, a lot of luck was involved when we uh, took over the facility. It had been closed for some time, but every aspect of its uh, operating uh, platforms, it's a uh, uh, tremendous power and uh, dedicated uh, water and sewer and uh, water treatment. Um, uh, you know, it was just really amazing that the property just lit right back up. We just uh, really had to uh, come in and and uh, build out the uh, the grow uh, aspects, the processing, uh, drying, curing, vegging, uh, tissue cloning, uh, culturing, cloning, uh, phenolab, breeding, and uh, uh, but it, we were very fortunate. The building and the property was, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in good order. So it's it's an amazing. Uh, when I look at it, I think it's beautiful. It sits out in a wonderful country setting in Stillwell. Now we have a great little town there with about 5,500 people. The plant employed originally under Tyson about 400 employees, and so we're very excited to reopen it uh, and to uh, provide living wages and Blue Cross and really. Uh, be involved with the community. It's it's uh, very heartwarming and exciting uh, to see it come to life. So we're just remind everybody we're talking with Bill Thurman from Redbird. Um, your background is not cannabis, right? I mean, you know, while we can joke a little bit about the history of of how young people don't know how to roll a joint, and you and I do, um, you know, so you you may have a history with rolling your own. But how did you get into a business where you're rolling for 100,000, 200,000 people? <laughs> well, 
Uh, I, my career, I've, I've spent the last uh, 25 years in uh, healthcare, uh, primarily in, 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 I started in Texas. Uh, I started my career in uh, skilled nursing and rehab, um, uh, developed uh, many facilities across Texas, um, uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to care for those uh, in need. Uh, had some wonderful team members and lifelong dear friends that I met in that process. And, and uh, uh, in 2004, uh, I moved into, into hospice. Uh, just fell in love with it. It is. Uh, Wait, you fell in love with hospice care? I, I did. The gift of, of uh, service is is um, it's just something that is is incredibly rewarding. And uh, the people that I met, uh, the caregivers, uh, you know, their ability to uh, uh, just with a touch and a voice and and uh, be able to uh, ease people's suffering. Uh, you know, in the last year of life, and I've cared for primarily people in the last five years of life. Uh, I developed hospice all across Texas, uh, Michigan, Indiana, and um, it's it's just the opportunity. Uh, you meet so many incredible people. You get so many wonderful life stories, uh, so much wisdom, and uh, then the gift of, uh, of, of serving them and uh, having an impact at that a difficult time in life and the people you meet in that industry. Uh, it was really one, it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And so uh, when we looked at this property and I called my physicians and palliative care and oncology and uh, my friends in Houston and, and I said, what do you think? And they said, let's do it. And, uh, you know, our hope and, and, and is, is that uh, this plant and its myriad of strains and varieties hold so much promise uh, to help people suffering uh, from pain and, and, and difficult symptoms that are difficult to manage. Uh, the polypharmacy issue and the use of opioids and other compounds uh, create, you know, comorbidities and they stack on each other. And it's just, it's, it, it's been a difficulty for physicians for decades uh, because their armamentarium uh, to address these issues is so limited and these compounds uh, we've done studies with uh, RAND on uh, what we can do to better serve these people. And, and, you know, really at the heart of it is a sense of love and well-being. It's not uh, really uh, that complicated. And so the, the, the compounds, these, this plant uh, has a natural disposition, an organic disposition to give the patient what they need, uh, not give them what they don't need, and to provide a sense of well-being uh, in the face of uh, very difficult uh, times. And so um, we have a real passion for that and um, I feel very uh, grateful to, to be here uh, driving this forward. So first of all, thank you. Um, you know, we've talked to a lot of people in the cannabis industry and the ones who have an authentic both respect for the plant and the understanding of the the current and potential medical value of it are the people who tend to do better in this industry. Um, and, you know, your background as an historic healthcare executive, somebody who has made a lot of money in healthcare, um, you know, a lot of people would kind of look askance at you saying, Ugh, this is a, a carpetbagger. Um, but the way you described your experience, you know, 
with hospice care um, and, and how it translates into cannabis, I hope will give people the same level of comfort it gives me. Because um, I've not heard you tell that story that way before. Um, and as a par- as a child of a parent who went through hospice care, it is truly a gift, not only to the patient, but to, to the people who are around that patient. So taking that same ethos and applying it to cannabis, I think, is clearly one of the things that differentiates you in Oklahoma. We, we, we feel, so uh, in healthcare and with my team of amazing uh, people I worked with, you know, when we dove in and uh, the, 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 the mission is, is um, just when you open your heart to it, it consumes you and, uh, you know, you really don't sit back in any given day. And it wasn't as, you know, I'd like to say I was really brilliant and built this uh, great uh, concept uh, start to finish uh, to build this company uh, that I built and, and with, with wonderful people. Um, but really it was just the day to day of trying to be best and to, um, you know, you have one chance and end of life to make a, a difference and to uh, make the process uh, the best it can be. And so, uh, it was just really one day at a time, uh, coming together with amazing people and dedicating ourselves to that. And then we just would look up and go, my gosh, look, look at what we've done. And, and, uh, you know, we kind of, I look at this industry, uh, similarly, I think that the uh, the uh, you know even in Oklahoma the quasi uh, recreational nature of, 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 of maybe a lot of the, the the utilization it doesn't matter to me I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity for someone to relieve stress or anything else life is is hard and so uh, the bottom line is is that we we see that the the, the cash flow opportunities associated with uh, the state of the market right now provide a unique model for reinvesting in research and in um, a whole host of, of, of opportunities to um, refine dosing uh, around uh, specific symptoms or disease states uh, to uh, do studies uh, work with our wonderful physicians and physician partners and uh, organic chemists and, and uh, advisors to come in and, and uh, do what we've done before in healthcare. I've done N plus one study, N equals one studies. And um, I think that um, uh, we're, we're, we're really given an opportunity here uh, to not have to sit for 15 years, losing money, trying to study something. We can create a viable, uh, uh, successful, sustainable business uh, that uh, contained within uh, the revenue opportunities, uh, if, if uh, managed correctly, will provide a tremendous amount of resource to dedicate to uh, advancing uh, uh, this plant and its 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 amazing potential uh, to help help a lot of people. So, so again, so again, reminding our, our listeners, we're talking with Bill Thurman from Redbird. Bill, I really appreciate the 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 sense of compassion and community that you really talk about the industry. And so, with the 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 team that you've built out with with healthcare experts similar to yourself. What does 2020 look like for Redbird now that you guys have the Stillwell f- facility, you have your management team in place? You're obviously in a position to be a market leader in Oklahoma, but how does that transition to, to the growing national market? Do you guys have plans to uh, – I know we talked about Texas, but there's obviously close recreational markets in Illinois and, and, and Michigan, and there's going to be some ballot initiatives coming up in states like uh, – um, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Florida kind of near you. What does 2020 look like for you guys? What are you eyeing and how are you looking to grow? 
We'll be launching uh, this uh, complex uh, at its uh, first phase uh, capacity, which is large scale. We should be able to achieve somewhere around um, 60 to 100 pounds of raw material for throughputs a day uh, very shortly as we turn into Q1. Uh, we'll establish our distribution network, our sales. Uh, we are working with, uh, I guess I can use company names, with uh, um, Media Gel, Studio Flight, a whole host of branding and, and uh, public relations, obviously, with KCSA. I'm really enjoying <laughs> that. Uh, so uh, we. <laughs> to develop a, uh, a strategy uh, to, uh, when we say MSO in this space, it's a, um, a multi-state operator. So in, in healthcare, an MSO is a management services organization. And so we're approaching this more from, I guess, because I go back to what I've experienced and and uh, uh, from a healthcare concept, build an MSO. Uh, we believe we'll have that completed uh, in Q1. Management services organization that will give me um, um, some young, excited, passionate, talented, extremely uh, uh, great opportunity with with uh, some uh, people joining our our, our effort here uh, that are younger than me. Uh, and, uh, and and bring all of their abilities to bear to see if this model uh, has an application uh, in any number of markets across the country. Some of the things that I'm hoping will change for everybody's benefit as I look at scalability and being able uh, to manage in a more traditional manufacturing and, and, and uh, uh, inventory distribution logistics uh, it, it it really needs to open up from a retail standpoint. I think the constriction on retail has uh, really created some difficulties. Uh, and then in many markets, you also have to deal with uh, ever-changing uh, regulatory uh, environment and uh, legislative, and, and if they could settle that down a little bit and uh, create a, a more accessible uh, and um, a convenient way for patients and also for uh, uh, personal enjoyment to um, uh, purchase uh, the products, it would uh, benefit uh, the whole industry in those states. So I'm hopeful for not just ourselves, but for the other uh, folks. This has been very ter terribly hard. And so I know the hard work that they've put in paving the way in this industry. And, and I know how difficult it is at the scale when you don't, when you struggle on where do you go with it? And then you have to try and configure a company that owns every piece of it in order to have uh, a, a, a sustainable market. That's that's a terrible challenge on these uh, on these groups. I heard some great stuff uh, uh, when I was uh, in Chicago uh, from oh gosh, I listened to a wonderful uh, company and I can't even remember which one it was. I, I love their their uh, the guy they put up there, but I was just uh, uh, amazed at, at how thoughtful and how hard they were working, how difficult it was to reach. Uh, cash flow and st stabilized uh, revenues, and, uh, and I know how painful that is from a lifetime of starting companies. And so, I'm hoping things will change for everybody's sake uh, across the country to create uh, a much more um, a logical, um, uh, uh, you know, pathway uh, for 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 everybody to scale. 
Yeah, you mentioned legislation there. Are, what are your thoughts on the Safe Banking Act, the Moore Act that recently just got uh, marked up through the Judiciary Committee? Do you think that these have realistic possibilities to pass, or are these just frameworks that maybe could you know, be used, you know, later down the line? Are we going to see any real action on, you know, alleviating the the banking regulations or or any help on interstate commerce in 2020? Uh, you know, I think they already, and I, and I don't stay up on it. We have a lot of folks that uh, watch that for us. But uh, I know that on some of the uh, 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 ability to transport hemp and CBD products, uh, when we had some issues very early on, just a few months ago, really, at the beginning of the year, with uh, truckloads being confiscated, I think that's a great step on being able to move uh, across state lines for processing and, and packaging and, and uh uh, and and so from a, a, a THC basis in, in the products, I mm-hmm. I don't really I think that it's several years out. We have such a, a broken system in in DC right now that uh, I, I can't see them focusing on on things very well uh, over the next year. So I I'm hopeful that uh, over the next couple of years we ought to see some movement in banking and and start to see some movement in in decriminalization. Uh, I, I, my hope is that over the next 36 months, uh, those, both those issues will, will be reaching their resolution. We're not banking on it, so no pun intended. We have banking <laughs> services, and um, we you know, went to some trouble in the beginning and spent a little bit of money on uh, from legal structure so we could be very 280E compliant and have an opportunity to not only participate with commercial banks, <clears throat> from the standpoint of uh, you know deposits, but also from the standpoint of some traditional commercial bank services, credit lines and other things like that. Talking about credit lines, you know, cannabis is an unbelievably capital-intensive industry. Um, so let's talk about you guys a little bit. How are you funded? What are your capital market strategies or aspirations? And really, what are your growth strategies or aspirations for the next eighteen months? Well, we we privately funded uh, myself and and um, uh, my some partners and people I worked with primarily in healthcare um, over the last uh, 10, 15 uh, years, and uh, we just uh, out of pocket funded it. Uh, it is ridiculously expensive. I will tell you that so much of what gets you know dedicated to this industry could be in, existing in the food industry for. You know, 20% of the cost of equipment and other items, uh, just because it's cannabis, I find that disheartening. Uh, I see that there's a lot of. <clears throat> it's a very difficult uh, uh, world to to navigate. Uh, uh, people are um, uh, uh, taking advantage of it. Uh, very expensive equipment. Everything associated with it's expensive. All the services are expensive. Uh, you know, when we got into this, if uh, I would not be here in this, if we hadn't been, um, um, uh, you know, lucky enough to acquire this uh, complex, you know, a fraction of what it would cost to build, we were fortunate enough to pick up a, you know, a, a $30 million complex for, you know, about one point, uh, I believe 1.85 million uh, for the complex on and all 38 acres that went with it. And it really did not require, uh, because it was in good shape and had so much power and water and sewer and, and uh, infrastructure, did not require 
uh, the kind of expense that you would have to outlay to build from ground up. In addition, it's not a metal building. I tend to look at many of these operations where they, uh, it, it's a fairly heavy industry as you process and you, and uh, with the agri uh, component to it. And so a, a traditional metal building with, you know, uh, uh, wood studs and sheetrock and FRP glued to it is not going to last very long. So we were very fortunate to get a cast in place, 18 inch thick stainless, post stainless steel, post tension uh, uh, industrial building that was built to last, I guess, forever. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it had to deal with a lot of chicken shit, right? I mean, you're talking about a lot of chickens. And so uh, it, uh, you know, to me, we were very lucky. So it kept our cost down on our main structure and our complex. Uh, we'll put about, um, because we are, we'll have 16,000 square feet of, uh, of, of state-of-the-art processing for extractions. Uh, we have a <clears throat> preliminary uh, packaging uh, uh, JV with EPAC, uh, and uh, we have um, will be you know um, uh, PLC spectrochromatography, whole host of things that are uh, next-generation uh, applications, basically from uh, big farm from pharmaceutical industry and we really want to get down and understand how we can move these compounds through in a way that don't uh, that doesn't destroy uh, it's uh, the properties that uh, benefit the patients and uh, you know I, I this this project for us is about you know at the end of the day about 20 million dollars out of uh, just a group of us uh, this is not where we make our living I was retired and, and they have other businesses etc so we just so just just when you were out, they sucked you back in. Yeah, we just pulled together, yes, and uh, threw some money at it. And uh, uh, we do have a commercial bank participating with us. We wanted to establish that uh, relationship. We'll run probably about a four and a half million dollar operating line uh, for fun there. <laughs> and uh, we have had uh, some the benefit of our relationships out of Houston that uh, took us to. Uh, New York to some wonderful relationships there and in investment banking uh, and uh, private equity. We may consider that I've used venture capital and private equity in the past. Um, so we feel like we're in a good position to uh, 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 capitalize. We're in the middle right now. We uh, are have decided to go ahead and expand some of our capacities as it relates to uh, production of CBD. So we're about to throw another 10 million in it just out of our primary group, which will put us at about 30 million. So it sounds like you don't need the capital markets to fund growth, which puts you at a, a unique advantage against your public company peers. Um, you know, th there's there was an analysis done by MGO, which is the, you know, the Deloitte of cannabis. After Q2, uh, you know, looking at all of the public cannabis companies and the average MSO, given what their cash on hand was and what their burn rate was, had six months of life left. Are you starting to look at some of the other peers in the space, whether they be companies that have licenses in Oklahoma, adjacent states or in states that are farther afield as potential acquisition targets? I mean, you, you, you know. The as we said, cannabis is capital intensive, and when you seem to have access to either no cost or very low cost source of capital, puts you in a position, you know, the you know the catbird seat, right, where you're looking at the canary and saying, uh, which 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 one of these am I going to eat? 
Are, are you are you hungry? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, in, I'm I'm trying to curb my entrepreneurial um, nature at this point in life, uh, hoping that I'll uh, not you know be one of those heart attack victims. But I uh, <laughs> yes, I still I have a hunger for it. Um, you know, in healthcare early on, a lot of what I did came from uh, some of the rapid changes in healthcare back in the '90s, from the late '80s to the '90s, and created as they changed from cost reimbursement uh, to pr prospective payment systems created a lot of difficulties and challenges for many operators. And I was able to capitalize on some distressed asset uh, acquisitions. Uh, that's really the, the foundation for putting our, our management services organization together so that we have a platform that has the uh, bandwidth to, uh, uh, to do due diligence while we're operating in Oklahoma uh, and to explore uh, thoroughly uh, opportunities uh, that might or might not make sense. Uh, I, you know, it's um, uh, it, 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 and I attended a, a recent conference where I, I recognized uh, I, I came originally way, way back uh, working with a, a family shop. And I know that that type of uh, environment, when I see so many uh, companies at the, uh, at the, 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 the event I went to that were uh, it started in the public markets, uh, you know, uh, in the investment banking public market for uh, raising capital. We're now talking to the family shops. I realized that that wasn't a very good place to end up. Um, I, I look at it that uh, I, I don't ever wish anybody any uh, failure because I know how hard starting a company is, uh, but we will position ourselves to take advantage of uh, opportunities where uh, something's either just not gone right, uh, and uh, see if we see if we have what it takes to come in and turn it around. So you you talked about a little bit how there's opportunities for for small businesses within this spot. So just given this conversation we just had, how capital intensive this this industry is. If a young entrepreneur approached you saying they wanted to get into cannabis, how would you counsel them to do it? Because like while there does seem like an opportunity to get a license in Oklahoma, how do you sustain that? Uh, well, we strive to be the best at what you do. Uh, don't uh, go to step two unless you achieve step one uh, and uh, get yourself just a, a little bit of capital. It doesn't take a lot. We're in a position right now to, and have been talking to people uh, to actually sponsor uh, some of those support services. I love to see uh, young entrepreneurs uh, uh, working hard. And I'm happy to uh, participate with them and, and uh, encourage them uh, in areas that I think that they can accomplish it. The money on this is so tremendous, uh, and it's just uh, it, 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 we're all equity. Uh, it's very, very difficult. Uh, and so to come in and provide a service to a larger provider can be an incredibly uh, rewarding business. In my healthcare companies, I had many, many companies that provided medical supplies, durable medical equipment, uh, you know, delivery services, on and on and on. Uh, and they thrive and they did very well. And so I see that there's a tremendous opportunity here uh, for very little startup capital requirement. If you've got some knowledge and ability and the passion uh, to come in and, and, uh, and to provide services to larger providers, we're going to need them on an ongoing basis. So a lot of those young entrepreneurs that do want to get in the cannabis industry, though, are people of color, though, that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs? Are you guys, do you have any corporate social responsibility platform that's helping elevate those young young entrepreneurs? You know, I'm really 
believe deeply that, <clears throat> and I and I also and I can't remember the name. Maybe it was Kronos. I don't know. Uh, in uh, uh, an event I was at, uh, the young gentleman up there was was really gifted and talented, and and uh, uh, enunciated a lot of these strategies in a way that was <clears throat> uh, much more articulate than I can. And I and I was very mo moved by it. And so. Absolutely, uh, you know, to me, the opportunity to redirect um, uh, revenues through uh, sponsorship of licensure. I have experience in healthcare uh, through minority waiver programs. Uh, I know Kaiser has a great one out on the West Coast uh, for minority uh, healthcare providers. That's an awesome model people could look at. Uh, and to be able to bring uh, a very, very uh, thoughtful uh, sponsorship uh, to the communities for jobs, uh, for you know, revitalization, uh, for a whole host of things that I think are very, very important. You combine those with expungement of certain types of felonies and, and uh, training, and, and uh, uh, I just I think that the translation ought to come uh, over to, to some great new programs in healthcare in the math and sciences areas. So we do uh, have some preliminary connections in the STEM programs and with another group out of Houston that uh, is involved in a, um, a pilot across 3,000 patients. I'm sorry, so used to healthcare. 3,000 students uh, in elementary school to sponsor um, math, sciences, and technologies education that's done amazing work. And uh, we feel like uh, absolutely uh, there should be a minority waiver program, robust minority waiver program for licensure that would stick to the retail. Um, the manufacturing side is awful. <laughs> and so awful, awful. And you bought a chicken plant, which is not, I mean, like you bought a chicken plant, which is also awful manufacturing. You know, it's like. It's awful. And it's, it's, it's very expensive. Everything you do is, is. You know, one minute after the next, you know, 50 grand here, 100 grand there, 500,000 here, on and on and on. And and um, uh, it's it's just awful. And so I really feel like that um, uh, we have a very diverse organization. Yeah, we're represented by uh, probably every religion, um, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Muslim, uh, Christian, uh, agnostic, uh, uh, every uh, we have. Um, uh, people from India, people from, you know, all the Nigeria, uh, and, but I've always, healthcare is a very, very diverse industry, and, and it's through that diversity that healthcare, uh, you know, on the ground, not up in the, the sky in Medicare and Medicaid and the reimbursement right. and the pharmaceutical side, but on the ground where, you know, you know, the hand, the caregiver meets, the one who needs the care, the doctors, the nurses, the aides, uh, diversity is 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 the strength in healthcare. The, uh, the Bill, the Oklahoma market is only so big as a potential medical market. Do you think that the state will go adult use soon, or is this years and years down the line? Oh no, I I think that with the, the Oklahoma um, process. Uh, they can bring a public vote. They draft the legislation. Uh, I think that it's good that that had, they almost did both at the same time. That would have been disastrous. And I, I think getting a chance to put some regulations and some processes in place 
to manage the program in the state was wise. I think that they'll they'll have the required signatures on the petition to submit uh, for a vote here um, potentially in November of 2020. I, it's not a foregone conclusion, but uh, the state passed very uh, decisively on medical. Uh, I think that uh, with the surrounding states uh, either having slower uh, uh, disposition to, to, to evolve and change, that there's a tremendous tax opportunity for Oklahoma, for education, for infrastructure. And so I think that uh, as we move through 2020, it's, it's, it's possible that we could see um, um, a vote brought to bear. Is your, is your long-term goal to dominate the country, to be acquired, to just be Oklahoma? I mean, what, where do you see the company in the next few years? I don't have any desire to, to dominate anything. I'm, I'm, I'm getting older and, uh, but again, with the, uh, the, the incredible individuals we have lining up to come and, and uh, take the, take the reins uh, in our management uh, platform. Uh, I think the sky's the limit. I, you know, I think that uh, they certainly uh, in, 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 with their age and energy and education and experience, and talent are, are looking towards a uh, potentially a public uh, an opportunity to take this public i i'm i'm happy to do whatever they'd like to do i'm not in a position oh if you don't have to go public don't go public being public is it's tough it's not fun you know it, I said the same thing to them i was like why in god's name would you want to do that uh, but you know, as far as growing it and and uh, doing uh, becoming a substantial um, uh, provider, I say provider again. I'm so wrapped in healthcare. Uh, uh, being a, a substantial multi-state operator with different uh, types of uh, operations, depending on the state dis dispositions and regulations, I think uh, I would support uh, the team uh, in um, in in their in their high aspirations. I none of us that have put the money in to facilitate this or need it back anytime soon. Uh, <clears throat> and we're happy uh, to sponsor growth and and, uh, and uh, really see what we can accomplish here. I, I, I think there's a sky's the limit with this. It's going to evolve. It's going to end up being a you know, I think there's probably when, when, when some of the old days, I remember studying uh, uh, what we, the, the, the government estimated the uh, illicit cannabis market in, in excess of 60 to 80 billion dollars. I think that was several years ago. And so under the table, flipping that, and there's a lot of opportunity there when they get uh, these uh, illogical or irrational models for, for uh, serving their populations that will uh, move that uh, illicit market and rather than grow it, which it's doing in many of them, we'll, we'll move it to the, uh, to the licensed market. And that's, a, that's essential to happen too. And then also uh, uh, products for everybody's budget. Uh, also programs, just like any other pharmaceutical or biocidical company that provide, uh, you know, substantially discounted or in fits in, in certain instances, free uh, products to, people that are on Medicaid or have children that are in need and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it, it, it's wide open uh, to do some incredible work for communities that have suffered under the war on drugs and a whole host of other issues and the criminal justice system's approach to that. I think there's tremendous opportunity uh, to open up uh, in other states to provide 
um, uh, whether it's medical or recreational, to provide incredible products. It's it's just it's in its infancy. All right, you you clearly have had tremendous success in your career and are poised for another big win with Redbird. Um, but success is the the child of failure. You know, I really believe that you don't become successful until you have not only learned how to fail, but learned what you have you know learned from that failure. Can you talk about what failure has meant in your career and how it's informed how you've become a success? You know, failure, um, from my standpoint, you know, personally, so everybody's uh, experiences are unique to their own journey. And so I was very fortunate. I had one of my oldest friends that I, uh, geriatric nurse practitioner, and she's Chinese, and she said, you have so many nines in your life. There's nines everywhere. You're so lucky. She still teases me. We've been friends since the first rehab hospital I took over when I was very young. And uh, so I was very lucky. Uh, but where failure came into play was more uh, my own personal maturity and that how I handled success. And so you can make a failure out of success. Um, and I see that all the time. And so really, uh, uh, <laughs> surviving uh, my own failures through success uh, and being able to mature and uh, uh, understand uh, how grateful I should be uh, each time I've been fortunate enough to uh, to succeed and overcome uh, a difficulty in, in, in the business world. Um, I, uh, I, I look at it, um, uh, you know, most of the time uh, people's expectations are uh, somewhat uh, skewed to uh, a state of exuberance uh, because you, you really shouldn't fall in love uh, with your ideas or, or in your business. You need to uh, let something uh, that's really supposed to already happen. If you can align yourself uh, kind of in the flow uh, and not force it, uh, and then um, uh, it'll take a path that'll be more rewarding. You force things, you get focused on the money, uh, and then you'll you'll be taught a lesson. So I I survived my lessons from my own uh, immaturity and and you know make money run wild you know that kind of stuff. Bill, thank you so much for for giving us so much of your time and really walking us through you know the Oklahoma market everything that's been you've been doing with Redbird. Um, we just have one last question for you. I know we've, we've been talking for a while, but it's, it's one that we ask everybody that joins our show that what do you think is the biggest undertold story in the cannabis space right now? Yeah. If I had one thing that would help everybody, I think people should take a look at a, 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 a less restricted retail outlet model. They've used it in a and in, in, in they've rolled it out in a way that makes very little sense and has created um, a, a really untenable uh, business model. You can't scale uh, it, a war for limited outlets and to own everything. That doesn't make anybody really great. Somebody that's incredible at retail is probably not going to be the same person that's incredible at, at uh, manufacturing and, and wholesale. And so um, I would say that uh, get the story out that everybody needs to revisit uh, and stop believing that a restricted market uh, is an advantage. And in healthcare, it was very, very restricted in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s. 
going way back and 90s and in many instances the states that had highly restricted licensure programs and licenses sold for millions and millions um, you know they restricted the quality and uh, of the services to the uh, to the, uh, the to the people and I believe that opening this up um, you know I could start a coca-cola company right now if I wanted to or a Tyson or anything else what what what's the difference why should this be uh, it, it to me it's a an unfortunate uh, aspect of a gold rush mentality that uh, has uh, been crafted uh, to uh, impact individuals rather than the consumer. And so I would say look at Oklahoma's open distribution market, look at the fact that consumers deserve choice, and look at the fact that execution uh, drives quality. And uh, that would be my story. <laughs> I'd read that story. <laughs> A special thanks to Bill Thurman, founder and chairman of the board of Redbird Bioscience. Who knew? that Oklahoma would be so interesting. As always, if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcasts. It's a lot of underscores. Um, you can always drop us an email. I'm looking for more hate mail. I haven't got one in a while. You can email us at greenrush at kcsa.com. We're always looking for your feedback, guest ideas. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. Give us a rating and review. The more people who do, it makes it easier for others like you to find us. Um, and as always, that's a lot of as always is, but, you know, I really do appreciate the time that you take to listen to this show. They can be long. They can be circuitous. Hopefully they're entertaining and educational. But the time that you give us is time that you will never get back. And I truly deeply appreciate that it is the greatest gift that you can give me and nick shay the entire green rush team and with that that's one take shay one take